take your Bibles. We're going to Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4. As we continue this morning, it's good to see my brother in Christ and partner in the ministry, Dr. Darrell Wood, with us, newly retired from First Baptist Church, Vincent. So uh, preachers never quit. So, Brother Darrell, I love you and appreciate you and glad that you're worshiping with us today and appreciate that. What a joy it is to be able to sing in Christ alone. The Bible reminds us that we're buried with him in baptism, even into death, but we're raised with him to walk in the newness of life. Therefore, we can reckon or consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we can offer the members of our body to be an instrument of righteousness, to be used for his glory. The Bible reminds us that we're justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God, and that in Christ there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And in a moment we're going to see that also the Bible says that when we're in Christ, we're more than conquerors in all these things. So Proverbs chapter 4, very familiar passage, looking uh, at verse 23 to be the key verse, but we're going to begin reading with verse 20 and read to the end of chapter 4. If you're able to stand in honor of God's Word, we want to stand and know that this Word is living. This Word is active. It is authoritative because it is God's Word to us. Look at verse 20, Proverbs 4. My son, give attention to my words. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them, health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let's pray as we consider what does the Bible say about anxiety, depression, and suicide. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for your guidance. Through the truth of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, guide us in truth. Renew our minds in that truth. And Father, give us a confident assurance of who we are in Christ and the power that is at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, I introduced the series that we're currently in, What Does the Bible Say About? And once again, let me thank you for your transparent responses, your many responses and uh, an eagerness to learn what does the Bible say about these topics. Uh, Our foundation was established last week when we asked that foundational statement, why the Bible? And so we asked that, and, and, and we asked it like this, why are we looking to the Bible to be that standard or that rule by which we will pattern our lives? Why the Bible? Our conclusion last week, was simply this. Why the Bible? Because it's authoritative. It is God-breathed. 
Why we look to the Bible as our standard? Because it is true. We can trust it. Why look to the Bible so that we can pattern our life? Because it's clear. We can understand it. And why look to the Bible? Because it is sufficient. It is what we need. Now today, our first category examines serious struggles that people have in the face of anxiety, depression, and suicide, or even suicidal thoughts. What we know so far is that these struggles are real in the lives of people, even God's people. As you can imagine, each of these topics could carry an eight-week sermon series by themselves. That's been my struggle and temptation for anxiety all week long because it's massive. These are vast topics. They're somewhat complex topics, and yet they're topics that are all too familiar for those of us called children of God. Yes, the Bible has a superabundance of truth sufficient to navigate us beyond these struggles of life into that abundant living that our Lord Jesus Christ talked about. You might want to write down John 10.10 to where Jesus reminds us it is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. A Barna poll once asked, if you could ask God one question and you knew that he would give you that answer, what would you ask him? And the most common response was, why is there pain and suffering? We think about that. Of course, we look through the lens of Scripture, and it takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man and the curse of sin upon mankind. And so we can understand biblically that living in a fallen world and we personally bearing the marks of fallen creatures that pain, suffering, sickness, death, trials, tribulations are all part of this life on earth for all people, even God's people. But bear this in mind and hear this clearly. No matter what difficulties arise... God has promised that a believer in Christ can be an overcomer in every one of these situations. Romans 8, 35 through 37, we'll come back to that. But the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God, hear this, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Romans 10, 17 reminds us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we can be overcomers in Christ in every situation. However, it is not automatic just because you are born again. It's like salvation. Salvation is available to all mankind. But it's not automatic that every man, woman, boy, and girl will have a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And though born-again believers, those who are in Christ, can have victory and be overcomers in these situations, it's not automatic. The child of God must hear the Word of God and obey the Word of God. 
And so James chapter 1 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So as the Apostle Paul exhorted the believers at Philippi, we are to continue in Christ to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we have a personal responsibility to abide in Christ and to abide in Christ's word to us. Then we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. In fact, John 8, 31 and 32 reminds us, if you abide in my word, if you abide in me, then that's an indicator that you are my disciples. But if you remain, if you abide, if you hang on there, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so as we approach, we realize that there are three common struggles that produce sufferings. That's number one on your sermon notes. Your sermon notes are vast today because I understood I'm not going to get through all these details. So I want to send home a lot of information to you that you can continue the study and the discipleship. But the first point we're going to kind of camp out in and, and stay down long for, and that is the three common struggles that produce suffering that we've identified, anxiety, depression, and suicide. I want you to take note that anxiety, depression, and suicide uh, and even suicidal thoughts are common struggles that produce suffering. I would love to say they're not common to the people of God, but that would not be a true statement. They're common as we deal with this life in Christ. They're common, just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So if you are here this morning and you struggle with one or more of these issues, first of all, know that you're not alone. These struggles are common. And second of all, know that there is hope and there is help. And though we struggle, we don't have to be defeated. Let's think about them individually, anxiety, the struggle of anxiety. What is anxiety? Now, as I think about anxiety, I had three words that just kept circling, and they seemed to be just all knotted up together, fear, worry, and anxiety. They love to run together. Uh, they're all rooted in, in doubt and unbelief. Um, sometimes they, they, they are futuristic. They... They uh, preoccupied the mind, and they interrupt and upset the balance of faith and obedience. And so they're strange concepts, and they seem to be all related together. But anxiety is kind of a step beyond worry. Anxiety is a state of intense apprehension. Uh, anxiety is uncertainty and fear resulting from anticipating uh, the anticipation of a threatening event or situation often to a degree that normal physical and psychological functioning is disrupted. 
Anxiety is that step beyond to where physical symptoms begin to occur negatively in which psychological dysfunction begins to happen negatively. So it's a big, big enemy against the children of God. What causes this thing called anxiety and fears and worries? Uh, it, it's multifaceted. Many things can cause it. Uh, sickness and suffering, facing death, approval from others, losing someone we love, loss of health, loss of income, desire to be loved, uh, unknown about future events, unable to control events, whatever it is, all these things could be uh, sources of anxiety in our life. Here's a statement worth noting. Anytime you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxieties because you might not get them. Anytime that you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxieties because you might not get them. Let me illustrate. If you want comfort deeply, then you will be tempted to have anxiety about physical pain because that's not comfort. If you want approval deeply, then you will live with a fear uh, and anxiety about being criticized or not accepted. If you want love, then you might live with that fear and anxiety of rejection. If you want admiration for what you look like physically, then you're going to live with a fear and anxieties of what age does to you when you grow older, right? And so the, do you get the connection there? Uh, anxiety, it, it goes to a source of struggle of what we want most. Hang on to that. The significance of the struggle. The significance of the struggle with anxiety goes all the way to the heart of your desires, of your beliefs, and of your thoughts. In fact, all three of these topics, anxiety, depression, and suicide or suicidal thoughts, go all the way to the heart issues of what we desire the most, what we really believe about God, and what our thinking really is. Uh, so anxieties point to what you desire most. So do my desires line up with biblical truth regarding what Scripture tells me to desire? The Bible tells me you shall have no other gods before me. The Bible tells me you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, and understand, if I take this, the camera guys just went crazy. They woke up. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. They do a great job. If this stool represents the throne room of my heart, here's what these temptations do. They make me think about who's on the throne. Is it me, or is it the Lord Jesus Christ, or is it another idol that I'm looking to? So anxieties point me toward what I want most, based upon what I'm most anxious about many times. Anxieties reveal what you really believe about God and His care for you. Not, dear church-going saint. Not what we say we believe, but what we really believe. And when we're in that struggle and temptation of fear and worry and anxiety and depression and, and even suicide or suicidal thoughts, these pressures really point and tell us something about who is on the throne and what I really believe about this God of Scripture. Hang on to that. 
Our anxieties also reflect what we really think. Is our thinking biblical? Is it what God tells us to think? Or is it what I call stinking thinking? That comes from the flesh. The strength in the midst of the struggle. Go back to chapter 4, Proverbs, and verse 23. Guard your heart above all else. New Living Translation says, For it determines the course of your life. So here in Proverbs, a father is urging his son to stay true to wisdom. The eyes are to stay fixed on right teaching. The feet are to stay on the right path. The mouth is to put away quick, crooked speech or devious talk. But above all else, he said, the heart must be guarded with sound doctrine. The heart represents, we know, the inner person, that place where desires abide, that place that represents our reasoning, our our thinking. It refers to that inner man, that source which decisions are made. He said, for this heart will determine the course of your life. This heart will determine the issues of life or the wellspring of life. Out of here, we're going to make our decisions in life. Therefore, he says, guard. That is a, a command in the original language. It's a command to obey. Guard your heart above all else with all diligence. So, who or what is on the throne of my heart? And that is a real question we have to continue to evaluate as temptations arise with anxiety, with depression, and even suicidal thoughts. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 6 and verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Here's a command that we're familiar with, and we hear what our Savior says. He says, therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, let's look at the birds of the air. I'll take care of them. Aren't you more important than they? I'll take care of you. Look at the lilies of the field. God arrays them with great splendor and beauty. They're here for a moment and gone the next. Not even Solomon with all of his money and with all of his, his beautiful array of garments is dressed any more beautifully than they. Aren't you more important than they? Won't I take care of you? And so we hear our Savior saying, look, learn even from nature, God's creation, that if he takes care of those creatures that he's created, the birds of the air and every other creature, even the lilies of the field, and he, and he cares for them, you're the crown of his creation. Won't God take care of you? Now, here's the remedy. Look at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Who is on the throne? Who do we look to? Is it me that's on the throne? Is it another idol that's on the throne? Or am I seeking first God and his kingdom? Verse 21 of that same chapter tells us the importance of the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who or what do we treasure the most? Who is on the throne? Go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. We got to move quickly. You ready to listen quick? Look at verse 6, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. Some translations may say, do not worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and 
supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's a beautiful passage that sets the pathway to peace that passes all understanding. Rather than live with that anxiety, rather than live with those worries and fears, rather through prayer, with thanksgiving in your heart, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Do you know that the common greeting in the New Testament after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ among the disciples of Christ was shalom, which means peace? Because they now understood the person of peace, the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they understand peace with God fully because of the forgiveness of their sin and because that their sin penalty was paid in full in Christ. They understood that to be in the body of Christ is to be a people who understand peace. This peace is divine peace of God, not of man, not of the world. This peace is unexplainable peace, transcends all understanding. This peace is a guarding peace. It guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And that's a good word. And so that's a military word. It guards. It implies that peace stands on duty to keep out anything that brings fear, worry, or anxiety. Now, hear this statement. Anxiety can be overcome as you receive God's word. As you rest in God's sovereignty and as you rely on God's promises, anxiety flees when we put our trust in the God who loves us more than anybody else, when we put our trust in the God who desires our greatest good like no one else, and in the God who is able to bring it to pass like no one else. When we put our trust in Him, we can experience peace that passes all understanding no matter what life is doing to us or around us. There is a way to overcome. Let's talk about depression. The Bible says in Proverbs 12:25, the wisdom of Proverbs, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. What is depression? That's a harder question to answer. Depression really can't be captured even in that word that we call it, depression. Uh, It it can't be captured in a few words in a a definition of what is depression. You look it up and you might see something like this, feelings of severe despondency or dejection. Uh, We hear things like, I feel numb, yet my head hurts, I'm empty, yet inside there are screams, I'm fatigued, yet fears abound. Things that were once pleasures to me now barely hold my attention. Uh, Your brain feels like it's in a fog, we're living in a fog. You feel weighted down or heavy hearted, Uh, the list could go on and on. Here's what we do know, we hear more about depression today than ever before. Depression is starting at younger ages today than ever before. I'm talking about young children and middle schoolers as well as high schoolers. Though there may be a common experience in depression, there's not really a single common cause. There are multiple reasons. 
Let me share a few of them. Depression can be related to medical problems. We need to understand that, like Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis, lupus, and hepatitis. Let me just ask that if you think you're battling with depression, please go to your doctor, get a physical examination, and be treated uh, to understand, is there anything medically going on that we need to know about? Uh, depression can be related to side effects of drugs. That's a reality. We need to understand that. But depression also can have spiritual roots. Though it's manifest in physical symptoms, weight change, uh, sleep pattern change, fatigue and sadness, uh, depression often has spiritual roots. Not always, but often. But I do think all depression can, does lead us to a spiritual issue. Other people can create depression. Ourselves can create depression. Looking within, just battling ourselves. The, the devil, Satan himself, can deal depression. There is a battle going on called spiritual warfare. God can allow suffering that tempts us to deal with depression. Consider Job. Significance of the struggle with depression. It is comforting to know. I don't know exactly, I don't have to know the exact cause of depression in order to experience the power to overcome and hope. Suffering through depression in, invariably reveals the allegiance of our heart. Right here. My desire, my beliefs, and my thoughts. Depression will take us back to that throne room. And to that core of really who we are and what we really believe. It shows how we trust in our God when times are hard. But it also might show that we trust in people rather than God. Or trust in comfort, pleasure, work, or our ability to control the environment. So these exposed loyalties are not necessarily the cause of depression, even though they could be. If our desires, beliefs, thoughts, and allegiance are not biblical, then we get in deep weeds quickly. Do we struggle with unbiblical thought patterns? By the way, you've got to be here to know what biblical is before you can decide if you're unbiblical, right? I saw some results from a survey this week, and it bothered me. 66% of church-going Christians agreed that the highest goal of life was to enjoy yourself. Houston, we have a problem. 72% said that you should pursue the things that you desire most. That's good if you desire Christ most. 76% said they're looking, that looking within yourself is a way to find yourself. Oh, dear God, help us. Is there a famine of truth in the house of God today? Times of trouble, whatever the cause, tend to reveal divided allegiances. And, and also, as it reveals what's in the heart, this is an opportunity to grow, to grow to know God more, to grow to grow up in our faith more. It's an opportunity to become who God wants us to become. A depressed heart could say many, many things. That's a sermon for another day. Uh, it, it could say I'm guilty or I'm hurting, but it also could say like Job said in Job 1.21, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. The strength in the midst of the struggle. Scripture has many examples of people who struggled. Aren't you glad? I think that validates the authenticity of Scripture. 
They're guys that are giants in Scripture like Elijah and David and Jonah and Jeremiah and Peter and, and Judas that, that we know, familiar names. These guys struggled. Those who battle with depression must learn to live a new way in Christ. And that new way in Christ is to live by faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So to believe and act on what God says and not what we feel. To believe and act on what God says and not what I fully understand between my two ears, which is not much. To believe and act on what God says, not what I feel, not what I think, or not what I see going on around me. But God says it. And if there is a battle between what any other voice says and what God says, the Bible must win. There is a tangible evidence that when you seek God in His kingdom, your troubles become lighter. Doesn't mean that you're removed from them, but your perspective is different. 2 Corinthians 4. 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Now if you've been listening to your own thoughts and it hasn't helped through your depression, through your anxiety, or other issues, Maybe it's time to listen to what God says in his word. One helpful bit of advice, you have to qualify it, but I liked it. It said, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. As long as you speak truth to yourself, it works. Two biblical concepts in the face of depression. Number one, Jesus shared in our suffering. Isaiah 53, 3, he's known as the suffering servant. He was oppressed, afflicted, despised, rejected to the point where people would turn away from even seeing his face. Jesus suffered, therefore he understands those who suffer. We do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us, but he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he sinned not. Therefore, when we go to the throne of grace in order to obtain mercy, we have an advocate, we have a high priest that understands the temptations and the suffering that life brings. He overcame in Christ, we can overcome. Number two, God is good and he's generous. Just look to the cross. It's the evidence that can fully persuade you that God is at all times good and generous. Never forget the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There is no greater love. Nobody loves you more than this God. Basically, our God is telling us through his word that if I sacrifice my only begotten son for you, do you really think I'm going to be stingy and withhold my love from you now? After all that I've already done, do you think I'm going to quit now? God's purpose is for us to grow up, to be like his son. And all things work together for that purpose. Don't give up. Depression is hard no matter what its origin. And it doesn't leave without a fight. It's not God's purpose for you to live in a depressed state. And depression should not be an excuse for unbiblical living. We like to put that depression code on sometimes and live there and abide there. Sometimes it feels easier. 
But that is not the abundant life in Christ that God desires us to have. Don't live discouraged. The Bible promises that changes are guaranteed as we seek the Lord first in His kingdom. We do have a reason for living. We are children of the King. We have a purpose in this life, and that is to reflect Christ and advance the gospel. We're living for something bigger than ourselves for all eternity. We have good reason to live. By the way, you're fearfully and wonderfully made because you're made in the image of this great Creator God. He knows you by name. He numbers the hair upon your head. You are His own special possession. Why suicide? Suicidal thoughts. Do God's people struggle with such things? Absolutely. The Bible views suicide as equal to murder, which it is. It is self-murder. Thou shalt not murder. God is the giver of life. He gives and he takes away. It's what Job reminded us. Suicide is the, the taking of one's own life is ungodly because it rejects God's gift of life. It attacks the sanctity of life. No man or woman should presume to take God's authority upon themselves to end his or her own life. The Bible is not really unclear right here. Some people in Scripture felt great despair. I'm glad that we can see their struggle. Solomon, in his pursuit of pleasure, reached the point where he hated life. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity in Ecclesiastes. Elijah was fearful and depressed and ran from Jezebel, hid in a cave. He yearned for death, 1 Kings 19. Jonah was so angry at God that he wished he could die rather than preach repentance. Even the Apostle Paul and his missionary companions at one point were under great pressure, far beyond their ability to endure, so that they despaired of life itself. However, none of these committed suicide. Solomon learned, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Elijah was comforted by an angel, allowed to rest, and then given a new commission. Jonah received admonition from the Lord and a rebuke from God and then told, go to Nineveh and preach that word of repentance. Paul learned that although the pressure is fa he faced is beyond his own ability to endure, the Lord can help him endure. He later wrote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Though suicide is profoundly a tragic act, hear me now, it is ultimately an expression of self-centeredness. Who's there? Who do we live for? Who gives us our purpose? While the association of suicide and depression is natural and obvious, it is also true that not everyone who is depressed is suicidal, and not everyone who is suicidal is depressed. There are other variables that can be there. Bitterness, anger, unwillingness to forgive are common features. Suicide is a desperate act. It's born out of pain and sorrow that's real, thinking that there are only two choices in life, live and live in pain or to end the misery. Those are the concluding choices. Unfortunately, the lies of the devil lead people to believe that there is no hope, there is no solution, there is no escape, and there is no positive outcome. Hear me, church, those thoughts are lies from the pit of hell and the devil himself. The strength in the midst of the struggle. Let me just sum it up. Is suicide a sin? Yes. 
Because God gives life, he's the only one who should decide when and how a person should die. Does God forgive suicide? That's really what people wanted to know when they asked the question. Yes. Yes. Though suicide is a sin, it is not unforgivable or the unpardonable sin. The Bible tells us that at the moment of salvation, a believer's sins are forgiven. Salvation is holy of God by grace on the basis of the redemptive work of Christ alone, the merit of his shed blood, and not on the basis of human merit or work. All the redeemed, once saved, are kept by the power of God and secure in Christ forever. Do Christians who commit suicide go to heaven? Yes, if they're truly, truly born again. The only sin that will keep you from heaven is rejection of Jesus Christ. Nothing, not even self-murder, can separate you from the love of God. Suicide does not negate the Lord's act of redemption. Our salvation rests securely in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We need to know that. But just because grace abounds, sin should not abound more. Let me just, I know I need to quit, but let me, um, I need to say a word about probably the most popular Netflix show that's out right now called 13 Reasons Why. You may not know about it, but you need to understand something about it. The series and Netflix is based on a 2007 novel by Jay Asher entitled 13 Reasons Why. It's about a young woman, Hannah Baker, who commits suicide. She leaves tapes behind to indicate why she chose that action. The show is extremely controversial today because it seems to glorify suicide and explain suicide in a way that makes the choice seem rational, almost automatic if you're in those circumstances. And that's a tragedy. That's the scary part. Netflix said they produced the series because of the novel's realism in terms of teenage bullying behavior. They wanted to, to highlight that and show that it was a reality. But in the depictions of the reality of bullying and abusive behavior, the show is saturated, dear parents and grandparents, with incessant swearing, physical violence, sexual assault, drug use, alcohol abuse, stalking, voyeurism, pornography, bullying, sexual experimentation, rape, verbal abuse, and graphic depiction of suicide. The show has caught national attention that even some of the liberal news outlets that are out there, uh, they are posting articles about it and drawing airs of caution about it that it could create a, a viral suicidal tendency. No matter what the original intention were, there are fears about this show, 13 Reasons Why. Parents understand the show is dangerously dangerous and unfortunately the most popular show on Netflix among teenagers. Here's the reality. They can watch this show on their device or their friend's device and you never know it. Bottom line, there are legitimate concerns about this program. And Christian parents and grandparents, God's people, young people that are God-fearing young people should be very aware of the danger represented by any kind of show that glorifies suicide or rationalize it 
as normal behavior. It's not. Be aware and beware of 13 reasons why. Sermon notes number two. One common source at the core of each struggle. I probably will hit this tonight. But I want you to understand that the heart of the struggle is the struggle of the heart, whether it's fear, worry, anxiety, depression, or suicide. It's right here. It all comes right back down to the throne room of our life. And so as we consider that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, uh, we understand, you know, that passage in Matthew 15, 18, and 19 tells us there's all kinds of bad things that come out of our own heart. Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked where you have to be careful. But here's the good news. God can give a new heart, and he does. He can take that old heart of stone and that old dead heart, and he can give you a heart of flesh and a heart that loves him and desires him and longs after him, and it's transformed to be like him. Here's the thing about our heart and what comes out of that throne room. Our heart reveals our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. That's deeds. And so... The heart of the problem really dictates what kind of deeds we're going to manifest. Are they going to be godly deeds or ungodly deeds, biblical or unbiblical? And then beyond that, unbiblical deeds lead to destructive feelings. The lies of the enemy that that feed, we, we fall right into that. Here's something Bill Bright used for years and years about how we're to make decisions. If you consider the, the Word of God to be the engine of the train, That is truth. That is fact. That's black and white. We attach our faith to the fact of God's Word. We choose to believe because thus saith the Lord. Feelings are the caboose. They eventually catch up once we choose to believe what God says and we latch on to it, no matter what we feel, no matter what we can wrap around intellectually, no matter what our eyes see, we choose to believe. So understand that the heart of the struggle with these three things that we're dealing with come right down to the throne room of who's on the throne and what we desire most. Number three. One clear strategy of the enemy. We're in warfare. We're in a battle for our life. If you're a born-again Christian, the devil cannot take you to hell. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But you better make sure you're born again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father is in heaven. It's not knowing thought. Uh, 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 facts about God or knowing Bible verses or Sunday school answers to easy questions. James tells us even the demons believe and tremble. So we need to know that we know that we know that we've been changed. We've been born again. But once we're born again, it's not automatic because there is an enemy out there that the Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and, and the good news is we can cast our cares upon the Lord, our anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for us. And when we surrender to the authority of Christ, Christ has already overcome that rascal called the enemy, the devil, and He has no power over us unless we give it to Him. In Christ, we are more than overcomers. The target is the mind. The weapon is lies. Four, 
one clear statement from the Bible. You can overcome. That's it. You can overcome in Christ, not by the power of your might, but in Christ, by the power of His might, who conquered sin, death, and the grave, who conquered the devil himself when he rose again on the third day. But we have a responsibility not to hear the Word of God only, but to be doers of the Word of God. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to end on a high note. Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, the rest of the notes are there for your resource. How to begin to overcome biblically. Overcoming. Abide. John 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, then you will know. If you hang out there long enough in truth, if you remain in the word, if you roll up your sleeves and and you ask God to teach you, to show you, to transform you by the renewing of your mind, he will be true to the purpose that he has established. He will renew our thinking. He will renew our life. He will give us hope and purpose and vibrance in life. But it doesn't come unless Jesus is on the throne room of our hearts. You can't be on your own throne and live your life for your own self and then draw in the the blessings of being surrendered to the authority of Christ. But you can be an overcomer in Christ if you surrender to His authority. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who died, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can overcome in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're already in a position of victory. You are eternally secure. But in Christ, we're to work out this life of being surrendered to His authority daily and putting off the old way and putting on the new and being renewed in our mind. In other words, we have responsibility to get off the throne of our life and yield it to Jesus. And when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, we bow before Him. We know it's the Lord who made us. We know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the image of God. We know that God knit us together in our mother's womb and gave us purpose in this life. 
We know that God loved us more than anybody else and he gave up his only son who yielded his life and shed his blood, taking the full wrath of God in my place in order to pay the penalty of my death sentence that Jesus did. He died, he was buried, but on the third day, this Jesus rose again and he's an overcoming king. He is victorious in all things. In Christ, I am an overcomer, not in myself. And I have to get out of the way. I have to bow down to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, and say, oh, God, I can't, but you already did. And now in Christ, I am an overcomer. Dear children of God, we must. We must quit living for ourselves, and we must quit trying to stay on the throne. We need to abandon the throne where Christ could be in total control. When we do, there's victory. When we do, there's grace. When we do, there's mercy. When we do, there's power. And let me just tell you, dear church, lest you walk out of here with a self-righteous temptation, dare you not judge somebody that struggles with fear and worry and anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts just because they sin differently than you. You're a sinner too. And we all need Christ on the throne. And maybe self-righteousness is a sin that some of the body of Christ needs to get off the throne. It's not about you, but it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in Christ. And on your sermon notes, you see this. We can't do it by ourselves, church. It's time for the church to be real. It's time for us to be connected to one another in love and in Christ. And I exhort you to be a part of a small group of believers beyond this worship setting so that you can be in a setting and say, I need your prayers, I'm struggling. And you know what, dear church, it's okay to take off that Sunday mask because you're not all right, and we know that. I'm not all right, and you know that. We're all sinners saved by grace, and we're still struggling in this life that that we're struggling to put off the old and put on the new and become that new creation that is ours in Christ. We need each other to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need the body of Christ. That's why Christ gave the body to us. We need each other, and we don't need to kick each other and, and condemn each other and judge each other unduly. But we need to spur one another on with truth that we're all that we can be for God's glory. And I can promise you one thing. When we handle anxiety and depression and the temptation of suicide and fear and worry different than somebody that's outside of Christ, you're going to be a magnet for them to look to you and say, I don't know what you have, but whatever you have, I need some of that. God is good, isn't he? He loves you more than anybody else. And he desires your greatest good. No matter what life is handing you, you are an overcomer in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you can be. Some are screaming the questions to us, does anybody care? I know one that does more than anybody else. And that's the one who died in your place. Some are screaming out, well, Does anybody care? Maybe he cares, but can he help me? 
Can he reach me where I am after all that I've done, after all the thought process that I've had, after all the sinful deeds that I've done? Yes, that's why he died in your place and shed his blood to pay in full that sin debt. Maybe, dear believer, you're beating yourself up and you're living in bondage because you can't believe that those thoughts overwhelm you and control you and you're living in bondage to something. Let me, let me just tell you, Jesus loves you and he desires you to get out of that bondage more than anybody else. He didn't give his life for you to live in misery. He gave his life to set you free. So, yes, somebody cares. Yes, somebody can help. And you might say, how? First, you've got to know him. How do I come to know him? Believe the truth of the gospel. God loves you and he gave his son. He died on the cross in order for you to be forgiven. Surrender your way of doing life to his way of giving life and, and trust him fully and you'll be born again. But once you're born again, dear believer, we cannot sit in our chairs and just think, yeah, life is going to be easy now. It's going to be automatic. There's no pain, sorrow, sin, or uh, struggle with sin, or no death. No, it's there. It's there for all of us. But you know what? In those things, we're more than overcomers. So maybe it's surrender for the believer. to say, oh, God, I don't like where I am. But I surrendered in Christ. Do your good work in me and through me. God, be glorified whatever is going on. The world will know that we serve a resurrected Christ when we start living in the power of his might. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is sufficient. I thank you that your word gives us pictures of real people with real struggles that ask real questions. But I also thank you your word is truth, absolutely true to all people in all places at all times. It was true when you spoke it, and it's still true today. So, oh, Father, we pray that in this time, I, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll work God's purpose in the lives of people. For those that may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray you'll compel them to desire Christ, to be unashamed, maybe even to walk down the aisle right here at this time. At this church setting, said, I'm hurting I don't have peace with God. My life is a mess. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm miserable. I go to bed miserable. I wake up miserable. I need help and I need hope. Father, I pray you'll give them the courage to be unashamed and ask in their desperation for the good news of the gospel. Pray for believers. Father, we, we're so tempted to cross our arms and poke at our lips and get mad at you because life isn't fair and life isn't easy and it's handed us a bad deal. God, forgive us for being self-righteous and pride-filled and selfish. If our Savior experienced persecution, if he was treated the way he was treated, if life was unfair to him, certainly it's going to be unfair to us. Help us to receive. Help us to yield. Help us to abide so that Christ may be glorified. May that be our decision. Father, maybe it's connecting with a community of believers. We need each other. We need to help one another, spur one another on. Father, we just pray more than anything, whatever decisions we make, we're hearing from you and we're responding in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask that you stand. As we sing, you can come and pray at the altar. You can make a decision to profess Christ publicly, a desire to know him. 
initiate a desire to join the church as the Lord leads. Hear him speak. Find the victory in Christ.